Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Story Show. And today on Storymakers, my nose itches. <laughs> That's exciting. These these are times in which we have to pay attention to the small details because everything comes alive there and there's nothing else. Yeah. Uh, just kidding. Sort of. Anyway, what are you working on? Well, I am... In the middle of a teaching math seminar, which has been super fun. Learning about teaching math. And I have to say, like, it's really interesting. There's a lot of overlap, I think, between teaching, between math, between narrative. So, mm. Or I'm going to get a unified theory of everything <laughs> and then go crazy. That's, so. that's always an option. Yes. <laughs> that's always an option. Speaking of math, I just wanted to mention that yesterday... A strange dog jumped into our yard and was suddenly in our backyard. And today, two entirely different strange dogs jumped into our yard and suddenly were in our yard. And my question is, will there be three tomorrow or four? <laughs> That's a math question. And it, it's, you it's know, also a narrative it, question. It is a totally a narrative question. Graphing is narrative. It's really interesting. Also, you know, that desire for to see pattern. Mm -hmm. Like it was one thing, it was one fun and strange thing for one big dog to jump into our yard. Not so fun for Bandit. But mm -hmm. then it was like super bizarre to have two different dogs jump into our yard the next day. And by now I'm expecting something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's how story works. So what are you working on? <laughs> Clearly not enough. Um, I am exploring. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in that diffuse mode. I'm really diffuse. Um, I'm doing, you know, doing my morning pages um, and, and writing a lot of what if, what mm -hmm. if, what if, what if, and daydreaming and going, oh, and it's interesting to watch a story sort of bubble up and... Um, yeah, I'm kind of playing around with. I made a list of premises. Okay. Um, because I wanted to think, you know, you often have people start with premise, which is this high level kind of values statement, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and I wanted to think about what were my real values that I wanted that mm -hmm. you know that I that I do that I really care about that I've learned through you know the school of hard knocks or whatever. And so I did that. So anyway, cool. things like that. But lots of stories and what if and this character and yeah. Fantastic. Kind of so yeah. So um, I wanted to also mention that Ellen Sussman and I, having had to cancel three Sonoma County Writers Camps in 2020, um, are offering a free hour of uh, on writing in the time of COVID. Mm -hmm. And um, that is on... Wednesday, August 5th, I believe. Uh, I'm doing this from memory. But if you go to SonomaCountyWritersCamp.com and click on free writing class, uh, the one, then you can sign up to join us and you'll get a Zoom link. And then you will hear from the two of us and all the, with all the crazy different things we're juggling, um, which and she's juggling some crazy stuff too, um, how we are staying connected to our creativity and actually finishing some projects. Noise. Yeah. So fantastic. So please join us if you want to. Okay. All right. Um, so today we're going to talk about something that came up. Actually, one of our students who um, has just 
taken the book in a year class and then is in my craft class this summer was asking, we were doing character desire in craft mm-hmm. class. We were looking at moments and when characters are wanting something. And she was asking, what is the relationship between the character's desire, what the character wants, and the limiting belief? And then that led somebody else who's in your summer story development class to say, actually, last night Angie spent you know the class talking about the difference between want and need and looking at what the characters want and what they really need. So that kind of came up. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere floating through all this came, what about premise? And right. how does so I, I thought maybe you could just define some of these things because the terms mm-hmm. may not be familiar to people or you know the specific definitions may may vary a little. Premise, character desire, um, limiting, belief. limiting belief, and then and maybe that distinction between want and need. So let's let's start with which we start with. Which one do you want to start defining? Well, I think you already defined premise. I think I actually Did want I? yeah. Why don't you say it again? Okay, but I actually want to back up a little bit, which is. Um, I think that there's a way in which when you see this executed well, Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily notice it. Right. Because it's got this wonderful, beautiful resonance, and you need to sort of go back and look. And so, for example... um, Or if you're a reader, you don't need to go back and look. Right. (laughs) You just go, oh, my God, that's how we should Well, I'm assuming you're reading. So when you see this done well, you are ostensibly reading. But I'm just saying that if you're you're just reading for pleasure, you just have that emotion and you move on. mm -hmm. But if you're a writer, you have to go back and figure it out. Well, right. And so I was actually... um, This sort of became really clear to me about how it can seem like a really blunt thing when you're writing, but Mm. that when you're reading, it can actually be this incredibly rich and nuanced thing. Um, There's a Dorothy Allison short story about Shannon Pearl, who... Like, catches on fire at the end, right? I, I don't think I've ever read this, but you have talked about it. Yeah. And so, anyway, I thought she did this sort of magnificent job that I didn't even really key into 100% until after I had finished, right? So that she had talked about, if you go back and you look at the story, the way she's described, all these different pieces, you know, the girl is on fire all the way through, right? There's metaphor after metaphor after metaphor. And, and you know, spoiler alert, she literally burns up at the end. And um, and I think if you were a writer and someone said, really go back and look at your character description, look at your whatever, and how can you bring these other things to it? And you would think, oh, my gosh, as a writer, this seems so, like, you know, not subtle. <laughs> this is the opposite of subtle. And yet as a reader, so much is opaque, and what we have is a cumulative sense. So you're leaving these pieces together. And so I just, I don't. And as a reader, that sense that things are kind of delicately orchestrated or that the the meaning, it's not, you know, the the meaning is there, that there is a meaning, that if you dig down, you're going to hit something and not just be digging and digging and digging. Um, We love that, right? That confidence in what's going on. And so I I just want to start with some of what we're going to talk about may sound like this is the most ridiculous, blunt, formulaic, you know, mulchite you've ever, ever encountered. And that's because you actually know the answer ahead of time. 
Mm. So, and this is sort of interesting where the math piece overlaps. We've just been doing these projects, right? And once you've gone through the project, you can start seeing them differently. Once you've gone through the activity and you can see like, oh, here's where I can pull the math out, it becomes a very different prospect. So now you can be handed any any number of things and think about how could I take this and move it into uh, a conversation about fractions, a conversation about graphing, a conversation about building expressions. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. But anyway, <laughs> um, and so I just wanted to put that caveat out there. And then the other piece that I want to say is that um, beautiful math is not arithmetic, neither is narrative. And I think sometimes when people are talking about things being formulaic, what they're thinking about are um, simple arithmetic approaches. X plus Y equals Z. Right. Um, Or even not that, because that actually, depending on what your variables are and how you're doing them, could create any number of things. But literally one plus two equals three, Right. right? So I'm not, when we talk about these things, there's a relationship that each piece has to the other, but I think it's the kind of relationship that can build from what appears to be simple to something complex and truly beautiful as yeah, we think about it. Absolutely. So. All right. So let's, so what is premise? So I loved actually the way that you just described it, which is, I think a lot of people think about premise as being theme. And then theme is something we learned about in high school. But I like to think about premise as being something that is really rooted in your values, really rooted in what you believe about the world and, um, that it's an examination of the conflict between values, between maybe, um, you know, we talk a lot of t- about the abstractions. Maybe your value is that, you know, love is always better than um, hate. Well, it's not usually that simple. <laughs> that goddamn hate. But, the, but the, <laughs> you know, a true commitment. I mean, like, if you look at, like, if you look at something that's like, here's our story. I mean, we use story all the time in religious contexts, mm-hmm. and that's probably the most accessible one. But like when you think about the stories of uh, like Buddha, right, there's a lesson that's being taught in that. And and really what that lesson is, is a statement of values. Well, and conflict, I was actually, right? funnily enough, because maybe because I wasn't raised religiously, but I was thinking of just like having kids. You just, there's so much you want to teach them. And mm-hmm. I would like find these books, you know, that taught these things and, or tell a story, right? And we, I think we tell stories from our childhood and we Absolutely. do these things to say, when I was your age, I did this shit. And, you know, and then, and in the underlying theme of when I was your age stories are either about resilience, needing to be okay in the face of things that are uncomfortable, that you will survive those mm-hmm. things. Uh, it could or be about comparison. I, I had it worse than you. <laughs> well, I think we hear them as kids often as we are. Well, this is a great example. We might hear them as kids as I had it worse than you. But really, as parents, what we're trying to do is uh, show something that is not apparent to them. So, um, you know, I, when I, we talk. I just had a conversation with a friend who is a great writer and um but who has, who was working on a project that she started before she had kids mm-hmm. you know like and now it's you know 20 years later too late and <laughs> now she has many I mean you know she has 
many years of parenting. Right. And her sympathy shifted. Her sympathy in the story shifted and, and the outcome of the story shifted because sort of the romanticism of the person who started writing it was with like the, the kid near the whatever, right. the, the, the young adult. And and now it's like with the parents, sort of the sympathy is mm-hmm. with the, anyway, it's is kind of it was kind of funny. We had a fun conversation about yeah. that. Yeah. So just to um bring it back, I think a premise is whether it's a statement in a sentence like you should do this in your life or an abstraction like we talk about with Egri, which is, you know, love conquers death, right? So whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, at its heart, I believe that premise is an expression of values. And let's talk each for a moment about how this works in our real personal work. Like when you're writing a script or you're directing a film or whatever that you, you know, your story, right? Like mm-hmm. how, how, how does premise actually help you how, as a tool? Well, I think premise for me uh, helps at different junctures. So um, I also want to say that I, I'm even though I tend to start with premise, it isn't because you have to start with premise. It, it's often because I'm saying, okay, let's start with our, you know, thirty thousand foot view, and then we're going to go down to our right. twenty thousand, then our ten thousand, and then yeah. you know we're going to hit the page at some point with a splat and. Um, <laughs> So it doesn't mean you can't cycle through this. And I, and I really want to be clear yeah. about that because I think the truth is you can say, well, I think this is my best guess and go on to different development pieces and then come back and say, you know what, this pre- premise isn't quite right. Well, in a way, I think, and this might be something to think about, like I think all of your exercises are, you, I mean, you always talk about how they're to trigger your unconscious mm. and, and explore. And I think they're all really questions. And I think your premise question is, what matters to you? Right? Right. Or the, the Lindsay, Lind, that we always talk about the Lindsay Doran Lind, mm-hmm. things. Like what, what is it? It's like, besides the drunk part, how it's should like we how do, how, you know, how should we be in the world yeah. and how does the universe work? Yeah. And so that's what premise is about, right? And right. so in a way that is that question, like how should we be in the world and how does the world work? That's why we go to story, right? We go mm-hmm. to story because we, we don't always know, or we so we hit up against something that makes us go back and be like, "What? How does the world work? How should we be in the world?" Right? Mm-hmm. And so I think if you think about your premise exercises as being a question, those kind of yes. deep resonant questions, what a great place to dig into to start. And then story. yeah, and I think that um, you know those beginning things, even before you get to building a log line, can actually start shaping what you believe is to be true in the world. You might believe that we should always be honest, but you might also believe that the world doesn't really want to hear that. Right. right. Or And you and also so, might, you might think you think we should always be honest, but actually then there are these moments where honesty feels really cruel mm-hmm. or really unnecessary. Um, so my, my point sort of being that when you look at those values in relationship to each other, you're already developing an arc. You may have a character who's behaving in a way that you think People should behave, but they're not going to get rewarded for it, mm-hmm. right? The world may not reward them for doing the right thing. We have a lot of stories where doing the right thing gives you a reward, and so yay. <laughs> um, so your values and your premise can give you the opportunity to even start saying to yourself, you know, how do I want this to end? How do I? What do I want my reader to feel? I don't even know who my characters are. I don't even know my location, but I do know that when they close this book, they're going to feel 
X. And so a premise can give you that. All right. So now we're going to we're going to circle back to this, but let's talk about um, limiting belief. Limiting belief. So you mm-hmm. have a character, and they have a limiting belief. What is limiting belief? Well, okay. So limiting belief definitely is. The specific language comes from Tony Robbins, right? It's it's a oh. yeah, and so really yeah, That's and probably so. NLP, right? But so, I mean, so because you because you have this sort of screenwriting background, mm-hmm. and then you imported this in like in lieu of character flaw or something. Right, oh, right. I love that. Tony Robbins has a lot to say about character and yeah. character arc because he is a character. <laughs> um, so the reason I sort of struggled with, for myself, this this other piece about the character flaw or these other mm-hmm. things, it, it felt very external. And so it didn't feel like to me like there was a close connection to what this person saw and did and felt in the world in the same way that uh, having this idea of like there's a single belief that there, that, that this story is about. Right. So you could have someone who could have, you could generate all kinds of character flaws. This person's greedy. This person's mean. This person's whatever. Um, But you wouldn't necessarily know like why. Mm -hmm. Now, someone probably has great exercises, uses the language, character flaw, whatever. So I just want to. And there's also, there's all sorts of different terms, but I, yeah. So for me, that's. So, so what is the, so what's, what's the limiting belief then? So for me, the limiting belief is the thinking that needs changing. Right. So if you are talking about two values at play and let's say you've created a thing where someone's going to learn how to do the right thing and be rewarded. Okay. So we have this story arc. It's going to be upbeat. Um, We're talking about, we'll go back to honesty, right? Um, Honesty triumphs over isolation. So let's say that's our, our premise. Okay. So um, it's hard to be honest all the time. As we talked about, there's a lot of opportunities for lying to be sort of a social lubricant. Um, But in this, we're talking about honesty and the value of honesty. Mm -hmm. So then we have to start looking at, well, that's where we're going to end up. At the end, our reader is going to have an understanding of honesty Honesty having this particular value. Triumphs over what? What did you say? Isolation. Okay. So we might start with someone who is uh, sort of a curmudgeonly uh, lying person who doesn't have a lot of friends. Okay. Or we might start with someone who is, lo- you know, at the o- opening of our, our story, we're, we're seeing a person who just lost their last friend because they could not tell the truth, right, for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. So then you can build your story from there. But the limiting belief, like, so the lying would be like a flaw in the way that I understood mm-hmm. it. But the limiting belief is something different, and it's underneath the behavior. So, so what might it be here? So in that case, it might be um, if people knew who I really were was, uh, they would, you know. Hate me. Hate me. Um it's, you know, definitely. So then you're like, great, why would someone lie all the time? What's the underlying, you know, if you come yeah. up with a, 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 a psychology behind the behavior, right? You know, it's interesting to think about Tony Robbins because so he, he if, I'm, if I'm getting this right, he like does all this stuff about state change, right? So you're yes. stuck in some limiting belief and he'll come and like throw a glass of water in your face. And I guess in a way, story 
can be a little bit like that, right? Like, like the thing mm-hmm. that sort of, and then, you know, and then you can change, but you also might revert back. And so then, you know. Well, and then he would also say, I mean, in his examples in like different things that I've listened to, it might be something like someone had something terrible happen to them. And because that terrible thing happened to them, that meant something about them. So, um, and unfortunately what he used was an example of someone having been raped. And so one person might have that incident happen and say, this now means that I'm dirty, that Mm. I should be ashamed, that, um, you know, a bunch of different things. So this person is now going to be hiding this thing that they feel ashamed about. Another person might respond by saying, that was so effed up that that happened to me that I'm going to do everything I can to make sure this doesn't ever happen to anybody else. Right, so they have an underlying belief that when something bad happens to you, you try to help help someone else. Right. Now, that could also be a limiting belief, mm. right? So it just depends on the story you're creating. So you, the limiting belief is about finding the psychological motivation for the behavior. So if someone is lying, let's say they're ashamed. If someone's uh, lying and they're not ashamed, it might be that. Um, you know, they've always been rewarded for it, right. for presenting right. this part. And it's not even like they don't like themselves, but they've always been rewarded for a certain behavior, and they're going to hide the rest of it. So, okay, so let's, I think this is going to actually, it's, we're going to talk about these two things, because we're, we're already in a, like, wonderfully, <laughs> wonderfully complex territory. But, so, we have a premise, mm-hmm. and we have a limiting belief. And the premise is like this 30,000 feet, feet view mm-hmm. uh, of the kind of deep, values of the the story like what the story is going to demonstrate in 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 its sort of deep values the limiting belief is the psychology of the character that has them acting a certain way because they understand the world in a certain way right so let me just give a quick example Uh, and we just did this in story development which is instead of starting you know egri does this great like long list of character details. And I think for a lot of people, it's really useful. But for a long time, again, because it felt very external to me, it wasn't, it felt arbitrary. But once I had... And the, this is going to be in the show notes, the agree. I'll put the agree. Yeah. All this stuff is going to be in the show notes. Um, but once I had this idea of a limiting belief, and someone's got a worldview that now intersects with these things, I can now start saying, well, okay, so this person lies all the time. How do they dress? How do they move? How do they talk to people? How do they do these other things based on understanding that's kind of who they are, right? Their their core approach is hiding who they are from other people. So um, if they were someone who was really ashamed of themselves, they could go one of two directions, right? They could go really sharp. I you're not going to penetrate my veneer, right? That kind of shame. Could be I walk around with crumpled clothing all the time because I'm so bad that I'm not even worth being noticed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so the the underlying belief of shame uh, can motivate either one of those, mm-hmm. but it's about what you want to explore in combination with the values. Yeah. And so... And so that starts to show us where the premise and the limiting belief intersect. Intersect. Yeah. So um, do you want to try to sort of just articulate that? 
Well, okay. So the limiting belief is going to be again about those values and about the. I mean, sorry, the, the, the yeah, the and the premise the premise is about the values. The limiting belief is going to be tied to the value you want to see changed. Okay. So we talked about honesty. Mm-hmm. So now this person has a belief that's probably based in shame about hiding who they are from other people. Right. So their so their limiting belief is going to be located in sort of one side of the premise mm-hmm. and their journey is going to force them to right. perhaps the other side right. of the premise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, can we come up with an example? I mean, I know, let's, let's start with a Christmas carol because that's the like ever present <laughs> example. Okay. So the premise is... <sighs> so I think the premise is really, you know, about... This sort of like love triumphs over greed or something like that, or well, okay, I you know, and this is an example. Like I would sort of work backwards a little bit okay, on yeah. this. Okay, Scrooge is someone who was hurt as a young person. Like we know that the story tells us that he has this background of um, himself having had things taken from him, and you know, so if he has an underlying belief that nobody is going to take care of him if he doesn't take care of himself. That's right? his limiting belief. So that might Instead be... Instead of the just the flaw of, of greed or right, whatever, right? right? Nobody's going to take care of me if I don't take care of myself. Right. And so then you have, okay, so that's so that's that. So what is what is the value that's at the core of, um, so, you know, self-preservation, right? Um, what else? Like, you, So you would get your thesaurus out if you had just that piece. <laughs> Uh, so you'd say like something like self-preservation, greed, sure. Um, survival, survi- success. Right? Um, um, he's isolated. Nobody likes him. So it could also be about isolation. Um, so it could be something like generosity overcomes isolation. Right? And, or if you wanted to be more specific, it could be generosity of spirit. Because mm-hmm. I don't think it's just about him giving money mm-hmm. in the process. It's about... His reconnecting with like, this is where he's headed, right? And he starts to sort of see his well-being tied to the well-being of others, right? And so um, he's grateful when the morning starts. He's buying a goose. He's spending money. He's laughing. He's asking forgiveness. He's doing a lot of things, not just one, but a lot of things Mm -hmm. that illustrate the internal change, Mm -hmm. right? So his limited thinking before was like, I have to take care of myself because nobody will take care of me. His new thinking might be by caring for others, I care for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. And so... And so, and do you start usually with premise before you have a limiting character's limiting belief? Or? You know, it depends. Um, I might have that. Often, what I have is at the beginning is I'll just have like a fragment of something, and I'll use these tools to brainstorm. So I might have like I'm really interested in this particular character. Uh, or I'm interested in this idea, or I miss my friends, or whatever. And so I'll start with that. And then from there, um, I'll dig into premise, or I'll dig into the limiting belief. Um, I think it's really okay to bounce around all of this stuff. So I don't mean to imply that there's only one Yeah. One and, again, and it's interesting because I think, again, 
you're always sort of asking people to ask their unconscious and creative and imaginative self questions. Mm -hmm. And I think people do get afraid sometimes and they sort of clamp down on like, okay, I have to do this. I have to figure this out. Right. Um, And I do think that, you know, I joke, when you're developing your story, I'm a lot more flexible about certain things. When you're in revision, I get to be a bit of a a hard ass because I think if you don't know what you want to say, it's really hard to make sure you're saying it. (laughs) So I think those are different moments. And And actually, I will say I had this, and I I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but I had this very profound moment in conversation with you relatively late in the process of of finishing my last book, which was, um, you know, realizing that kind of the premise in the main story, you know, had to play out as the premise in the backstory Mm. and had to kind of come to fruition together. Right. Right. Well, and that's so we're so past having time to talk about how to bring want versus need. No, I said we were just going to focus on this. We're okay, just, great. Yeah, I way back there. I said, <laughs> okay, this is all we're going to talk about. Next, all right, next, next week, week, want right. versus need. So just to say that the premise offers one other thing. So when we're talking about the things that we care about, right, so you get to keep checking back with yourself on your premise. Is this what I want to say? Is this what I believe? But then when you're in revision – It's really important to go back and say, okay, do all of my threads connect back to this? Because otherwise I'm going to end up with um, some really rando bits. And maybe what I'm talking about is like the chaos of the world and things don't add up. But (laughs) and random is. But ironically, let's say you're like that's part of your premise is you're saying, you know what, the world is chaotic. It doesn't tie up neatly. It's this whole thing. Your structure is going to reflect that, right? Each, your, each piece. So if you do something that's knitted together, then you're not saying that the world is chaotic. And if mm. you're doing something really chaotic, because that's what you want to say, something nihilistic, all of those things still flow through and um, intentionally used, your, your premise is going to give your book resonance and structure. All right. Well, this has been fun. I like this stuff. It is. It is when you really approach it um, with an with a sort of open imagination. I think right. it's it's very generative. And then just to say one last piece, which is that these tools I often use as constraints, not to get it correct, but to limit the possibilities, so that you're not trying to figure out the form of how you want to express your whatever but you're really trying to focus on some aspect of it. So like we do go through log lines and we go through like generating seven steps and we do do scene outlines. And so we do all of that, but it's all at the service of, as you mentioned, what I would call sort of feeding your subconscious, but also like you don't need to do research every time you sit down on um, how to sit down. You're naturally gonna bounce around and be like all over the place. So getting rid of things you don't need to research Mm. helps you focus on the things you really want to say, if that makes sense. Well, it really makes sense to me. And I think, you know, both of us have have talked about this kind of having these constraints is very helpful if you're kind of overflowing with possibilities and, Mm -hmm. um, and this helps you go, okay, well, let's, let's kind of let's generate these possibilities within some sort of framework. Right. 
Yeah. Um, all right. So you, you listeners, you make it work for you. And if it works for you, however you're using it is right. Um, we're not doing steal this. It is time for <laughs> steal this. Amateur poets borrow. Professional poets steal. What have you come across in your readings and wanderings that you would like to take and make your own? I'll let you go first. <laughs> Um, you know, I started listening to the audio book of Heather Young's second book, The Distant Dead. We interviewed Heather uh, for her first book, mm. and I'll put that in the show notes. Um, and um, it's just really wonderful. And I keep thinking, like, what is it that just has pulled me in? Mm. And I think it's these characters with kind of an intense need and an intense sense of kind of responsibility for other people at this mm -hmm. in these very different ways, mm -hmm. but like, so they're kind of vulnerable and responsible. And then in a way their responsibility in turn makes them vulnerable. And even though they're all really different, like each of the characters has these elements that makes me really invested in them. Mm -hmm. Like I care right away about like how they're going to navigate what's going on. I don't know if that's all of it, but I, I, anyway, it's, it's inspiring to me. It makes me feel like writing really good story mm. with really great characters. That's what I'm going to steal. Nice. <laughs> that is an unusual steal. Yeah. 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 Unexpected. <laughs> um, well, I've been, again, immersed in math for a little bit, but I've been really intrigued recently looking at graphs and sort of the really high-level narrative that happens in that. So one of the graphs, you know, New York Times has this, what's happening in this graph? And you go there, and they have a bunch of different graphs, and you can look at them. And really? A column? Mm -hmm. And um, I thought I knew all the columns. I know, but you did Spelling bee! <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, you know, so the one that I was looking at right now is, like, where spending is in post, you know, or not post, uh, <laughs> In, in the time of COVID. Intra-COVID. Um, and it's interesting, right? So there's a two-color graph. They're using circles. They're doing these different things. And yet at the same time, you can see like, oh, the spending in this area is down and the spending in this area is up. What does that tell you about the world, right? Not just like in this like X number of billions of dollars have gone to online commerce. It, it more like I, it's making me think about like, Dickens, right, in A Tale of Two Cities, and these like very large scoped narratives, mm. um, and you know what it means when you look at it. And I just think it's um, might be too much coffee, <laughs> but I I'm just really intrigued right now about the narratives of our Graphs. data representations. Yeah. Well, there you go. Now go write. Well, I'm going to write, and then I'll use those. You could actually right? you could do you could do a book that was illustrated by graphs. Oh my god, a love story in graphs. Ooh, that's what I'm going to do. All right, here we go. It's going to end up being a three panel comic, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> 